You're listening to MHD Off The Record. On this episode, we speak with real estate investor Martin Muoto about his holistic approach to developing South LA. Martin Muoto is the CEO and founder of Sola Impact, a family of real estate funds with a strategy focused on developing high quality affordable and workforce housing exclusively in black and brown communities. Sola combines providing access to housing, access to education, access to opportunity, and access to ownership to positively impact both community and investor returns. In 2022, Sola raised its fourth fund, the Black Impact Fund, which will deploy over $1 billion in Los Angeles and across Southern California. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Martin, for joining us. It's good to have you here. Um, A staple now in South Los Angeles with regard to housing, with regard to community development, with regard to economic development, uh, with uh, regard to putting out a vision, really, that you know, you've know you organized lots of uh, people around, lots of creativity around, lots of great energy around. It's uh, really, really good to have you. Uh, you've gotten your, uh, your LA Times expose and other uh, coverage in Business Week. But I wanted to take the time to let as many people as we can just get to know you and your story. So how'd you end up uh, being a, a real estate mogul in the heart of Southern California? How did you get from from uh, a toddler to, to here? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here and, and uh, part of this dialogue, which is a very important one. And I think um, I'll try to keep the abbreviated story of how I got here. Having grown up in West Africa, I came to the United States uh, over 30 years ago now with $440 in my pocket. Um, I was fortunate to to get into the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School um, and spent the bulk of my early career in finance and specifically in technology, uh, backing uh, technology companies. Um, and came out to LA to run one of the companies that we invested in. Ultimately fell in love with LA and started to invest in real estate, really on nights and weekends. And as I looked across the LA landscape, um, several things struck me. One of them was that um, there was a lack of investment in areas like South LA and Compton and Watts, despite the fact that the numbers would lead you to believe that these were good areas to invest in. Um, And so I spent a fair amount of time, this is 2008, 2009, 2010, um, really studying those areas from both an investment standpoint. But as I got to understand the people, my central investment thesis was very simple, which is the vast majority of good, hardworking people that want a safe place for their kids. Mm -hmm. And if you could give them a good product, not only could you get them to work with you to make sure that buildings were safe and well-maintained and so on, but really for folks to make this their home, it's something that they could be proud of. And that is still the investment thesis that we have today. Um, and we've now, you know, invested hundreds of millions of dollars behind that thesis, but it still is as true today as it was uh, over a decade ago. And what did you find when you came to South LA? I'm sure, you know, when you came to the US, you talked about being on the East Coast. So you come to Los Angeles to work in tech, uh, which means that you're probably not spending a lot of time in South LA or That's with right. people from South LA. Uh, what did you think? What did people tell you? Um, because we've had this problem of underinvestment for years yes. and you talk to investors and they, they never quite give you a reason why they won't, they just don't. Well, it's, it's a very good point because 
as I was doing the research and deciding, you know, starting to make investments in South LA, almost every real estate agent, every developer, every contractor looked at me and went, where are you investing again? <laughs> and I'd say South Central Los Angeles or Watts or Compton. And they'd go, uh, I think you lost your mind. Wow. You know, you're going to lose your shirt. The folks, you're going to be dealing with evictions. You're going to be dealing with crime and drug deals. And, and I said, wait, wait a second. I mean, this is a 30, 40 year old stigma that grew up obviously in the crack cocaine epidemic and the, yeah. and the blood group. And folks are still judging the area by that. Mm. And and you realize that they are 98.7% wrong. Yeah. 1.3% they're yeah. gonna give you a run for your money, right? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. we know that. Yeah. But um, so, but but look, it, it you know, disproportionately folks had stigmatized the area and had continued this narrative that gets echoed. And as I said, when you really look at it and you get to know the community, you get to know the people, you find very, you know, differently. It is still, um, as you know, and as I know, it's still a challenge to get institutional investors, sure, corporations sure. and others. Insurance companies. Yeah. To look at this differently. But I think that your efforts, candidly, some of my efforts, dozens of other, you know, well-intentioned and mission-aligned investors and developers are beginning to change that. I see. Tell me about your first building, uh, your first set of apartments and your first families. Walk us through that, through that process. Well, um, it was on 94th and Vermont. Wow. Um, still own those buildings today. I, I, I hate to sell candidly and and, um, you know, just um, met one of my tenants who is still my tenant today, Miss Pam, I'll refer to her as. And, um, you know, I, I could just tell that she wanted a landlord where she wanted to take pride in her place. And, yeah. and she, you know, I worked with her. I ended up renovating three or four of the units, a uh, fourplex. And, you know, till today she maintains it. Um, for better or worse, she calls me when there's a problem. <laughs> she still has my cell phone. Yeah. But but you just see that uh, pride of ownership. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. As you know, um, we have a large population of Section 8 tenants in our buildings, mm -hmm. partly because they are some of the most vulnerable members of, yeah. of, of, of the community. A lot of them have been formerly homeless. You know, one of our philosophies as a property manager and as a landlord is we try to get to yes. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for reasons to say yes, right? right? right, right and right, and right, a lot right. of landlords look for reasons to say no. So we're all about second and third and fourth chances, sometimes to our detriment. But we really work with the tenants, the, the residents. We work with over 40 nonprofit partners that come alongside of us wow. to administer services to our residents to help us find the right residents to and um but we also are very transparent look we're a for-profit company folks ultimately have to be held accountable to make sure that they're paying rent yeah. you know working with us to get you know to, to keep on the program and so it's um sometimes can be a challenging um business but you just see that um there's a desperate need for housing and there's a desperate need for landlords that want to be aligned with the community, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And and why that is at all controversial? I mean, um, you know, we were talking about this just the other day, and it's we want to grow the pie. We want yes. to we want to see the rising tide. And as Miss Oprah Winfrey used to say, 
if you if there's a riding tide and you don't have a boat, you're under distress. So part of what we figured out very early is that, look, the better our tenants do, the better we do. Again, why that is not common sense business 101, um, I don't understand. Yeah. But but we have put a lot of resources to into our buildings and our tenants to make sure that they're doing better. They're seeing the benefits of our investments, making them more able to pay rent, giving them access to jobs, access to education, access to tools that make sure that they have a boat, they know how to row, yeah. and, and, and they're part of the um, uplifting of the community. That's right, that's right, that's right. And so how many units... Uh, you started with four. How many are you at now? We own fifteen hundred units. One five zero zero. Wow. One five zero zero. Over two hundred buildings. We um, are building about fifteen hundred units that are in various stages of um, construction development in about thirty different um, uh, construction projects right now. Um, in June we closed our fourth fund where we'll be deploying about a billion dollars in the greater LA area and, and in throughout Southern California, we'll do some in, in San Diego and other parts of, of Southern California, but we'll ultimately build another 300, 3,000 rather, 3,500 workforce and affordable housing units, which means that the vast majority of our units are income restricted to some degree um, in terms of who can occupy them. Wow. Wow. And, uh, that just seems like a massive operation. So when you started with the four buildings, Sola doesn't exist. Like you may, like you come up with this company. <laughs> How in the world do you recruit and organize talent to get that this volume of work done? So, so one of my first employees was uh, one of my tenants. He worked oh, wow. as a supervisor in McDonald's. Still an employee today. Wow. Um, and and you know and and in fact you know. Uh, I can say he just bought a home and he sent us oh, a picture my goodness. of him. Oh, wow. And it was such a gratifying sort of, yeah, he's bet. worked with us for eight years. He just bought a home. And so you see the arc of progress. Um, but today we have 150 employees. Wow. Um, we are the seventh fastest growing minority company in the country. In the United States. In wow, the private company wow. in the United States. Um, and so, look, it's it's been a journey. We've made mistakes along the way. Sure, we've, sure. We've stumbled. We've also just seen the continued progress and candidly look with um, folks like yourselves really leading communities through the transitions they're going through and really um, helping them see the vast amount of opportunities Opportunity, that yes. potentially exist. Yeah. That really helps, you know, and I think while you're on the on the civic side and I'm on the on the uh, business side, you know, we've just found like-minded partners to, you know, to, to really open the imagination of folks and 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 to encourage them to see this as a great opportunity. We are long LA, we are long CD8, we're long yes, CD9. Yes, yes. You know, these are areas where. Yes, there's change. Yes, there's development. Yes, there's the potential drawbacks of things like gentrification. But, you know, provided that we really tool our constituents, in your case, residents in our case, yes. properly, they stand to really take advantage of some of these changes. And, and, you know, LA desperately needs this. You know, we have a shortfall of 500,000 affordable units, 1.5 in California. 
and and you know this probably better than I do, which is one of the number one um, political issues, the issues that voters care about is lack of affordable housing and homelessness, yeah. right? And, and those are things that we have to solve through a myriad of tools and partnerships with the government and the private sector. But really, we have to build. Yeah. Right? We have right. to build responsibly and intelligently, but we have to build to meet that shortfall. I think that's right. Talk to us some more. You mentioned the G word, uh, which is one, you know, as a person who's on the public sector side, I get, uh, I hear about gentrification a lot. Oftentimes, people use the word, two people use the same exact word and they mean different things. Uh, talk to us about what you think about gentrification, what what people's fears are, yeah. what part of that makes sense, what strategies we can use to push back on it. It's, it's a valid both concern and issue. We, we have as one of our operating principles, um, the motto of, you know, better neighborhoods, same neighbors. Yes. And, and we really try to adhere to that. Uh, I, I share with folks, 98% of our tenants are um, African-American, Latinx, um, black, brown, and beige folks. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so this is the composition of our community, right? We're not trying to replace that. We're not trying to change that. Um, but I often also point out that the opposite of gentrification is economic segregation. Uh, wow. Right. Wow. Where all the poor folks are put in one area, yeah. live in one building, are exposed to only those opportunities. And that to me is not only not right, but, you know, the, the beauty of certain um, uh, certain cities like New York with with active public transportation and, and more is that a young black boy can see a lawyer, he can see a doctor, he can see an investment banker, he can see a doorman and a plumber. They're yeah. all within reach. Yeah, all right? on the train. They're yeah. all on the train <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and he sees them stressed out one day and happy yeah. the next day, yeah. but they're relatable. And, mm -hmm. and I think because LA is such a driving city, often that does not happen. Right. And right. so what we want, and again, another of our taglines is if you can see it, you can be it. Right, that's actually the underlying principle of our social impact and our nonprofit activities, which is we've got to give young black, brown, and beige people access to education, access to opportunity and capital and jobs and ownership. And so we've got to give them exposure, right? And so what we think is beautiful is mixed income buildings, mixed income communities, different socioeconomic groups, engaging and, and perhaps I sound uh, utopic about it, but that really makes for vibrancy and that makes for diversity and dynamism, right? Right. And, and so I think you have been one of the most vocal about ensuring that, you know, um, our African-American Latinx community become entrepreneurs and really capture these economic opportunities that are going to be created in their backyards over the next 10 years. Well, you know, I thank you for that. And I think, you know, that's right. It's like I keep telling people, like, the train's coming. It, like, it's coming. And if we're ready, we'll reap the benefits. If we're standing on the sidelines yelling at the train, the benefits will pass us by. Uh, so I appreciate that. It's uh, one of the, the community discussion around gentrification, I think, is one that ne has a lot more uh, smoke than heat. Yeah. Um, and we need to, uh, folks who can shed light on that, um, talk to us about, uh, you know, the inspiring uh, space that's, you know, there. 
uh, off of Gage uh, between Central and Avenue, Central and Avalon, you know, that has been a dead industrial space, a dead or dying industrial space since really the late 1970s and early 80s. Yeah. Uh, and there in the middle of that is this jewel called a beehive. Um, you know, um, the beehive was a our love letter to South LA in wow. some respects. Wow. Look, we have been doing multifamily residential. We know the residential space very well. Um, Gray Lusk, my co-founder, and I have been driving through that area, the Goodyear track, for yes. the last decade and saw these beautiful red brick buildings that anywhere else in LA would be a fortune, right? right and because right. they were in Gage yeah, and 60th, yeah. Gage and Central, <laughs> you know, were neglected and had sort of lowest and, and worst use. And one of the buildings, we ended up buying seven buildings, five acres. Um, one of the buildings had two people working on it and it was for used for furniture storage. There was no economic wow, vibrancy, yeah, right? Yeah. And today we occupy that building. We've got a hundred employees there working. Wow, wow. And so, um, but the idea here was to um, build a campus, a business campus that would be part of the community. Um, and we wanted it to offer it primarily to black and brown and women-led businesses. Now, okay. it also happened to be in an opportunity zone which gave certain tax benefits not only to our investors, but for the businesses located in that facility. Um, and so we ended up buying this, This, you know, um, it cost us several million dollars to buy this five acres. And many of our investors went, look, I know you guys know multifamily residential. I don't think you guys understand commercial. What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then three months later, COVID happens. Wow. And so they're like, yeah, mm. you've done lost your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Companies are not going to come back to work. You've invested millions of our dollars in this yeah, in yeah. this business campus, you know, and, and we worked tirelessly over the last two years to transform this into what it has become today. Mm -hmm. We've leased out 65% of the space, 100% of the tenants are black, brown, and women-led businesses. I always say if Google comes knocking, if YouTube's come knocking, we will gladly rent to those <laughs> folks. And candidly, many of those have had events in that. And, and what we have seen is that it has also become an event space. One of the little silver linings of, of COVID was that we ended up investing a lot more money in the outdoor space. Oh, that's how that and, happened. And okay. we built out the outdoor space because we were like, well, people want better outdoor space and it has become just a jewel for the community. Everyday people has an event once a month there. Black Market Flea has this incredible event that just are entrepreneurs at work. And so you almost have to see it to, to really feel it. Yeah. the yeah. energy and yeah. the passion. And it's really an ecosystem for, for the community. Yeah, and it's no. a cultural space. Yes. I actually had the privilege of going to Black Market Flea and you, it was such a diverse space of black people. Yes. That's what I thought was beautiful of it, about it. Because it was black people from everywhere. Yes. It was it was people from South LA. Yes. But it was a lot of people from just everywhere all over the county who traveled there just to be amongst you know other black entrepreneurs and creators so it was also a creative space that you know is actually to me can be as it grows be built into the culture of that area because so much has been lost over the years and so to see that there was just an amazing experience it, you know it is i mean when when i go there and see it in it, its 
you know, these are, and I hate to say, these are the most beautiful, dynamic, yeah. stylish, <laughs> stylish, you know, absolutely cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would not normally fit in there. Let's be honest. And they are the cultural leaders. Yes, that's of, right. That's right. Of that's America. Right. That's right. Candidly, that's right. That's, that's where right. all the style is coming from. Yeah. The fashion, the culture, the entertainment. These are the folks that are dictating that. And what's really important, and and you know, Councilmember Marquise and I have talked about this, is that that those folks really own the intellectual property right. that they That's are right. creating. That's right. They've got to find the tools because the rest of mainstream America is following their lead. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. And so they've go, you know, so we've got to empower them and enable them, embolden them, right? To be like, this is our you know, we're setting the bar here and the and mainstream companies will follow in their wake. So we are just so pleased to be part of that. Yeah, it, you know, it's amazing. I, I was, uh, I went to Everyday People at the Beehive and, you know, I've been following Everyday People since it got to Los Angeles and about, I don't know, maybe 2015, 16, it got to LA and it was, it would hop around. Yeah. And it was, you know, I would, whenever I'd come in contact with the organizers, I would be like, this is a cool thing you're doing. But this is not our space. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is someone letting us use their space to do our thing. And uh, well, I was very excited to hear that it was going to be at at, at uh, the Beehive. And so I went and, and you were there and we were actually happened to be with other developers. And and but all of you turned to me and said, this is what you mean by Destination yes. Crenshaw. And That's I was like, yes, exactly. like we LA is the creative capital of the world. People yes. come here to be creative. So it's people from all over the world who come here and they just do their creativity, you know, as a part of their lives. And what we hope to build in this generation is mechanisms that let people keep the value that they create. Yes. You know, I'll never forget a guy walked by us and he had, he had on a blazer, but it was like one half of a blazer. So to another <laughs> half of a blazer and and martin turned to me and said like everybody's going to be wearing that in two years and i was like yeah let's just hope he's the one who owns it right. when it happens uh because it's you know this is the dynamism that's uh, a part of this community well i mean look it, it leads to another aspect of what we're trying to enable the beehive and you know this we've we've built out the solar tech and entrepreneurship center yes and and the idea was to take some of the underlying principles that organizations like the YMCA had pioneered, which is sportsmanship and teamwork, and then really build an environment where young black, brown, and and, and other community, low-income um, um, folks, it's free to the community, can learn not only tech skills in terms of coding and virtual reality and animation and video game development, but also project management and mm -hmm. accounting and, right. and sort of the legal principles. We have this incredible program that we've done there with Live Nation. It's an eight-week program. It's an internship. The young people, the teenagers get paid actually as a stipend and they learn everything about putting on a live event right the the contracting the merchandising and and the and the talent management and that's what we need we 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 appreciate the fact that our young people are artists and they're entertainers and they're some of the best at it yes. but we want them to be behind that that that's right. in that's terms right. of the ownership and the legal and the accounting and the the entrepreneurs right um, and so again those are our attempts to really infuse that to young people in the community early and inspire them to to not only have a love of learning but have a love of entrepreneurship and everything 
you know, that America offers. I was blown away being at the uh, grand opening of the tech center. Uh, it's like a full on gaming center, music studio, workspace. You know, it's even got old school arcade games from the 80s in it alongside the new gaming things that I don't even understand at this point. It's like how people are playing games with each other around the world well, uh, in an amazing way, all there, you know, at the Beehive. And, you know, you're talking of a relatively big facility yeah, that all this is in. 13,000 square feet, state-of-the-art computers, state-of-the-art recording studio, studio state-of-the-art eSports arena, all of which, by the way, um, in partnership with Riot Games, which helped us design it, helped us fund it, you know, other organizations have come alongside of them, Snap and, and others, uh, Live Nation, as I mentioned. And, and really, we're just seeing that play out. We're giving these organizations a, an opportunity to live up to what they have stated. And, and we are super excited that they have l stepped up. Um, we'll probably save it for the end, the announcement that yes, uh, yes, you yes, and I yes, yes. are uh, going to make uh, about that. But, but just um, it brings to life what um, not only what we have been trying to do candidly, but look, corporate America, a lot of society is struggling with this is how do we find solutions that work? Yeah. How do we find solutions that are scalable, that are sustainable, um, that that combine a nonprofit um, mechanism with an entrepreneurship for-profit innovation, right right? right? right, And that, you know, we were talking about that yesterday, Siobhan and I were just <laughs> sort of like, how do we fix this? How do we make mm -hmm. it sustainable? And so anyway, um, you know, we're, we'll, we're working on it. So the tech center, tell, uh, I'm very curious about this. How does, so I know it's for young people. I know dozens and dozens of young people come every day, sort of after school yes. and on the weekend. Uh, what can adults do? So if there's a person in the tech field or, you know, got some expertise, can they volunteer? Like, how do they get involved? Absolutely. Um, we embrace and need volunteers. Um, you know, it's on um, it's on our website, solarimpact.com. It has a link to our nonprofit, which is the Solar I Can Foundation. You know, young people want to hear from people that look like them. They want to hear, they want to relate to people. That's right, that's right. We've had executives from Snap and from banks and from Riot, obviously, that have come down and spoken to these young folks. And so we want um, tech professionals to come alongside of the journey. We need all the help we can get. You know, at some point we're going to have adult education, but right now it's focused really. on um, seven to 14 year olds. We're expanding that. Um, we want to partner with LAUSD and other jurisdictions to bring schools during, uh, bring students during the day, right? And so we think that it can be a resource for programs, you know, that oh, wow. supplement and enrich wow. their education. So it just has a tremendous amount of legs. It doesn't feel like school. We don't have teachers, we have coaches. So yeah. we are trying to sort of, you know, uh, make it fun as much as make it uh, practical. Very nice. So tell us about the rest of the Beehive campus. I know there's an art gallery there. There's a, a, a African-American-owned brewery. Yes. Like the South LA Brewers yeah. Brewery is coming um, on board soon. They're out raising capital. So you can look um, Craig and Chia up, two incredible entrepreneurs. Um, that will be building out a, a, a food court and a brewery oh, on wow. site. Oh, wow, food court too, wow. Um, we have uh, Amino Foods, which is an Afro-Caribbean-owned healthy food um, option. That um, We have the uh, Yoga Collective, which believes that arts and yoga and, and th things that 
are typically associated with the West Side should yeah, be also in yeah, South LA. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just real entrepreneurs. One of the things, and, and we still have work to do here, is I ultimately want an accelerator incubator in there. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so if anybody's listening and they're tied into that, um, you know, to, to really give businesses the tools to compete, to collaborate, the resources and HR, legal and others. Our law firm, which is Alan Matkins, has given us 200 hours pro bono for any of our tenants that need legal advice. Wow. Right? So again, these are corporations, mainstream corporations that are saying, look, we want to do more yes. in communities yes. Yes. of color and and we, we want to find ways to do it. So um, again, we've been fortunate to get some of that energy, um, but we really want to spread it around and, and, and get other organizations involved um, in the Beehive and, and in some of these initiatives. This is exciting and good stuff. So you have such an incredible vision, such incredible force to uh, make it happen. Let's jump 10 years ahead. What does Solar look like? What does South LA look like? Uh, what does the economic situation look like? Well, look, I mean, we're going into the World Cup. We're going into the Olympics. These are catalytic events mm -hmm. in the future of not only L.A., but particularly South L.A., right? We have a public transportation system that our um, you know, the government's invested billions of dollars in. And it's going to certainly change some of the dynamics of these communities. And we've got to, as you point out, embrace it, but really take advantage of it access to jobs and mm -hmm. mobility. Mm -hmm. These are things that really um, may set the tone um, for many years to come. What I find very relevant, having grown up in Africa, is that the number one export of America is its culture. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. I grew up you know, admiring the Lakers, <laughs> watching Hollywood films, wanting to wear Converse and Nikes. Yeah. I didn't want to wear a Ukrainian brand. I mean, they may have good shoes. I didn't want to wear a brand from Botswana. They may yeah. have great t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is what, among many things... And why did you want to wear the brand from America? Be, be, because of, of, at the time, Dr. J. And, right, 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 right. And other cultural leaders, right? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and I grew up trying to break dance, was yeah, never that good yeah, at yeah. it. But watching that being exported, where did those come from? They came from communities like South LA, Compton, Watts, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And over the next 10 years, we're going to have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in fact, millions of people yep. coming to yep. America yep. and their first interaction with America will be CD8. That's right. Crenshaw LAX. Crenshaw line, yeah. Destination Crenshaw. Yeah. These will set the tone mm -hmm. of how people perceive not only America, but the American experiment, democracy, mm -hmm. capitalism, free enterprise, all the things that have been part of this grand experiment, right? And so if they experience, you know, businesses that are failing, if they experience homelessness, what are they gonna go back to Saudi Arabia right, right. and to Korea right. and to Russia to tell them? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not it's so not a, great. It's not a good look. Right? Yeah. And so I think our community and the city of LA and certainly sort of, you know, the right political leaders, <laughs> right? Have to come together to mm -hmm. really understand the importance that LA holds in setting that cultural context for America with the World Cup um, you know, the Super Bowl, sorry, not the Super Bowl, but the Olympics, um, you know, we're going to be on a world stage and, and we've got to do it right. And I think that we, the 
opportunity is just in front of us. That's great. You know, I, I was in another part of the world and a person was saying to me, the significance of Los Angeles is there isn't a child in the world that isn't influenced by ideas that come out of the neighborhoods in this city. Yeah whether it's them trying to break dance in the 80s or wearing, you know, or wearing Air Jordans in the 90s or Millie rocking in, in, in the aughts. The, our people's understanding of their place on the world stage is something that our folks just don't, obviously no one's telling them that because yeah. they don't want to, everybody else wants to be able to steal the money that comes from it. But also our folks are so caught up with survival yeah. and things like housing that it's hard to think about like, oh, what influence am I having on, you know, when I started wearing my sneakers this way, I didn't realize I was influencing the world. It's funny because um, Martin and I actually talked about exactly that yeah. in our pre-interview when we were talking about this. And I was saying, you know, it's literally how our brains and bodies operate. Yeah. It's hard for us to even access the part of our brain that's creative and strategic, that can do the long-term thinking, long-term planning. The neocortex literally shuts down when you're in a place of fear. Because yeah. it's, it's all it, your body wants to do at that moment is survive. It's survive. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and Siobhan was, was saying things that really hit home about her experience through trauma-informed, you know, therapy that, you know, look, housing is a basic human need. It's, it's, it's housing and shelter are the lowest rung of Maslow's hierarchy. And when you're housing distressed because of rent and, and because of other factors, you can't find housing. It's, it's primal, right? Yeah. And, and it doesn't allow you to get to other layers of, of uh, up through self-actualization, yeah. right? And so really, you know, our business model, our view starts with housing first. It's the bedrock of our business, but it's housing alone is not enough. We believe that access to education in and through technology is critical. Access to opportunity and capital for black and brown entrepreneurs is critical. And access to ownership. Um, business ownership and home ownership are all things that are critically important for creating and transferring intergenerational wealth, especially in black communities and black and brown communities. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I think you've done a lot, uh, council member, around getting that message and wrapping people's head around it. But it's a struggle. We've got to continue to break the narrative. We've got to fight back on those that want to keep people down and in yeah. poverty. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a daily struggle. Yeah, no, it is. I, 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 it's a daily struggle. But I, I, uh, it's important to me to expose people to people like you because it, gets, it shows them that just on the other side of the struggle is, is all this incredible opportunity and yeah. that, and that our, we have the capacity to flourish yeah. and do as well as anybody in the world. So I'm getting to time now, so I have to hit you uh, with the rapid fire. So these are questions that you uh, can only take a beat to answer. First thing comes to your mind. <laughs> we are you know, compiling a list of people, places, things, and activities uh, in South LA. So we'll ask you the question and you give your first answer. Your favorite song that represents South LA? Oofa. Um, well, you know, I went for a run this morning. I listened to Tupac, Keep Your Head Up. Yeah. Right? So yeah. keep your head up. Okay. You know, okay. It's, it's positive. Stay that's positive. A that's a winner. That's a winner. <laughs> uh, besides yourself, the uh, entrepreneur from South Los Angeles that inspires you. I got to tell you, I was so moved by um, not only everyday people, but Black Market Flea and Maya Hatcher, who is the founder of that or yeah. the owner of 
I think she's just doing a great job. I have actually not met her, though she rents our <laughs> space. And, and so she is my entrepreneur of, of the week, year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, that does amazing work. And then uh, favorite place to do work or find inspiration in South Los Angeles? Uh, it's the Beehive. It's the Beehive. Sorry, it sounds self-serving, but but we love it. And we yeah. invite folks to come yes. and experience it and see it for themselves. Yes. No, whenever you have a chance to get uh, by the Beehive, get there. If it's for one of the Sunday events, I think Soulful Noise is there. Next weekend, Soulful of, well, Soulful of Noise and Everyday People are, I know they're, um, they're there next weekend. Yeah. So Soulful Noise, Everyday People, Black Market Flea. I feel like there's been other things there. I can't keep up. It's just uh, you know, like we've the most, the most had happening Google come down. We've had American Express and Hyundai. You know, it's just cool to watch these companies experience South LA in that yeah, regard. So yeah, yes, yeah. the more the merrier. By the way, we have events there. So again, come on down and uh, excellent use excellent. the space. Excellent, we we love it. Um, so um, as before, we close. Uh, we're very excited. Uh, I went over to the tech center and my head was literally explode exploding i think i was people were trying to talk to me and they maybe thought that i had come down with a disease because i couldn't get the words out uh fast enough so inspired by the the tech center but the you know the tech center is kids are coming like it's at capacity and so you and i talked and uh we cooked up a little idea and we're we are uh, proud to make an announcement it'll be it'll be in the newspaper soon uh, but we're proud to announce uh, for Crenshaw Boulevard. Tell us about it. So um, in partnership with CD8 and council member uh, Marquise, we're going to be raising $2 million That's right. to build out Tech Center West. Um, we expect it to be on 46th and Crenshaw. That's right. Um, a dynamic space taking a lot of what we've learned in tech centers in, in the Beehive and replicating it here, being a satellite um, with the same opportunities. So we really appreciate the partnership. We're going to be going out to, you know, get uh, donors and corporations and, and others to come alongside of us. Um, so look, it, it, it's a true representation of a public-private partnership goes through a nonprofit, and we um, we think we'll not only be successful in raising the capital, but creating another cultural icon and, and, and a place where our kids can can be inspired and, and, and really grow. Right in the heart of Destination Crenshaw. So we're very excited. Thank you so much, uh, Martin, for spending this time for us. And thank you for the work that you've done in our community and seeing something in us and in our streets and in our people that oftentimes the world looks overlooks or or uh, misrepresents. Uh, thanks for stopping by and connecting with us and building with us. Thank you for your leadership. It takes true partnership and you have been a true partner in this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for Off the Record. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia the Poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.